You are now listening to Halos in the Infield, an Angels baseball exclusive podcast. Hey, 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 this is Todd Fox from the Halos in the Infield podcast with uh, your, uh, obviously your host, Todd Fox, and who's with me right now are my co-host. Fernando Mendez. Yes, Fernando Mendez, and we have a special guest from the OC Register, Mr. Jeff Fletcher. Hey, guys, how you doing? Fine, how are you doing today? And you are now in Minnesota? I'm sitting here in Target Field. It's uh, about four hours before the game, and... uh... Just uh, enjoying beautiful uh, Minnesota. Nice. Okay. What's the weather like over there? Over here in Chicago, for those of you guys who don't know, I'm in Chicago right now on a business trip. It is hot and muggy. Is it the same thing over there? Um, it's supposed to be that way over the weekend. Today is very nice. Today is about 80, and it's not really muggy at all. But we got a little overcast going on. But uh, I think over the weekend, it's going to be kind of gross. So. <laughs> yeah, I think right now it's like 80-something here, but it's also like 80-something percent humidity. So I'm just kind of like, oh. Not that it's that great at home either. Cal- SoCal's been the same lately. Super humid, uncharacteristically. Yeah. Well, now we got the weather out of the way. Let's <laughs> let's talk some Angels baseball. Um, you have a, f- a question to ask right away, uh, Fernando? Yeah. So, uh, so Jeff, uh, I know uh, what your uh, role is uh, as far as uh, being a baseball writer of America, uh, being in charge of the Los Angeles chapter, correct? I'm the uh, vice chairman this year, yes. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's go ahead and start off by, uh, A, what that means to you. Uh, yeah, let's start off there. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, it's the, the BBWA is a, an important organization, I think, and uh, it's one I've always been proud of being a member of, and I've taken a role in, you know, kind of helping to guide the direction it goes. And it's important, especially now with, you know, with COVID, there's been a lot of changing rules about how we're allowed to, to do our jobs and we sort of have to fight to get back some of the, uh, the things that we, that we had before the pandemic. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's an important thing to, uh, to do. Is that, is that part of the fight trying to get back into the locker rooms or having a specific time when you're able to have that more person on person interview status or the relationship with the players? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get so much more information by being in the clubhouse and talking to players one-on-one than you get, on zooms or even talking to them on the field. So, uh, you know, definitely. And I think fans don't even realize what they've been missing out on all these, this time. There's lots of information that they're just not finding out because we don't have access to talk to the players. So it's in the the interest of the fans really that we uh, can get back in there as soon as it works for everybody. I have been noticing too, like uh, with that being said, I mean, the Zoom calls that they do after these games on the post games, they're sometimes, depending on the outcome of the game, they could be very fast and, and they only take maybe one or two questions and they're very negative to a lot of the questions if they're having a bad game. So yeah, there's, there's not that, um, they could just basically uh, up and leave if they want to, where it seems like where you guys, when you had access, you were right there and you're able to ask them questions and were kind of forced to tell you things or even if they didn't want to, but in, in, in a bad, in a bad way for, for them, but a good way for you to get more information and also uh, in a good way to establish relationships. You just don't have that right now. Right. Well, I don't think anybody ups and leaves in a zoom call. I think a lot of times we don't ask very many questions because you know, the people that they, give us are not necessarily people that we have a lot of questions for, and we don't want to waste Uh-oh. a lot of their time okay. with, uh, you know, asking them a million things. Uh, but the clubhouse access is, is important because you get to have more casual conversations 
forget just the interviews, but you learn stuff about, you know, what's going on. Like, uh, I'll give you a quick example. Back in May, uh, David Fletcher got a day off. One day, the last day in Houston, they didn't play Fletcher, Trout, or Upton, I believe, all in the same game. And everybody yep. was like up in arms about why they did that. And uh, that was right when we first started being allowed to, to talk to the players on the field a little bit. And I had talked to David Fletcher a couple of days later in Austin, and he told me that he actually had an injury that Joe Madden did not tell us about. Oh. And so that explained why he wasn't playing in that game. But if I had not had this chance to talk to David Fletcher individually, I wouldn't have known that. And that's just like a little teeny sliver of the kind of thing that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of stuff that I think us as fans don't even think about or consider because, you know, uh, why would we, right? Yeah. At least yeah, until you just, now. You just feel like what you're getting is everything there is to get, but it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Uh, so tying it back to what you were saying, uh, um, I, I, I know exactly, I, I know the way you've uh, leaned towards voting, so I don't want to get into that as far as uh, Hall of Fame, uh, nor are you able to comment about your future voting. But I do want to ask your opinion as a baseball fan. Uh, about this do you ever think that in our lifetimes we will see a known steroid user in the hall of fame now that's just me asking you know jeff fletcher the fan uh well it depends on what your definition of a known steroid user is i think there's some widely assumed steroid users that are already in the hall of fame Mm -hmm. so uh you know it's a slippery slope to me uh i think that like uh, there's already steroid users in the hall of fame i'm sure so to me i i vote for you know, I vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and, and those guys, and uh, I would like to see him get in, but I understand why people don't vote for him. It's a tough, it's a tough question. There's not really right answers. Uh, there's good points on both sides. I totally agree. For, for what it's worth, I agree with your viewpoints, and I agree with your decision, but that's just me. I, I, as of right now, clearly we're in the minority. Well, actually, I mean, uh, not necessarily the minority, but you got to have 75%. And I think right now, Barry Bonds get, and Roger Clemens get like 60%. So it's the majority, but it's not enough of a majority to get them in the Hall of Fame. Fair enough. Do you, think, do you think as the older hats that have been voting for a long time either retire or go away from their, or don't have their vote anymore for whatever reason, uh, do you think the younger ones that get the opportunity, the younger beat writers that have the opportunity to vote will make the change to finally get them over that 75%? We well, might not have enough time. Yeah, it's not going to be enough time. I think this is their last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, this year. So I think gradually their numbers have gone up. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, if they could be on the ballot forever, you know, that might happen. But uh, I don't think they got enough time to make it on the, this next year. Okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting because I've been watching that as a fan the last couple of years. And I was kind of projecting, well, maybe, you know, this year would have been the year. You know, and the projections, maybe it would have been the year, but, you know, obviously it just wasn't the case. Um, so another question I have for you, Jeff, if, if I were to ask a childhood Jeff Fletcher who his favorite baseball player was, who would he have told me? <laughs> uh, boy, that depends what age I was. But uh, one of my first favorite players I remember was Steve Garvey when I was really young. When I was like uh, eight, nine years old. And then uh, I became a Mariners fan, oddly enough, even though I grew up in Ohio. But I wasn't okay. really that close to any – I was kind of far from Cleveland and Cincinnati, sort of in the middle of nowhere. And I, when I was nine years old, I thought the Mariners had cool uniforms. So I started being a Mariners fan. And uh, Harold Reynolds go. was one of my favorites at oh, that okay. point. And then Ken Griffey Jr. became a favorite, but he and I are actually the same age. So 
Well, uh, it was, you know, when I was 19 or 20, he was just reaching the big leagues at 19 or 20. So he was probably my last favorite baseball player before I started doing this. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I'm at an awkward stage right now. I'm 26. So I'm at an awkward stage where I'm like now starting to call these guys kids. And I'm like, oh, come on. You know, like we draft someone and I go to like a minor league game and I'm like, you know, older than some of these guys. It's it's a strange age for me. So I, you know, I, I could imagine what that was like. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I remember uh, Omar Vizquel was the last guy to play in the big leagues who was older than me. And so then once he was gone, I was like, oh, wow, I guess, I guess I'm <laughs> never going to make it now. I guess I'm too old now. <laughs> oh. I wonder, uh, maybe I have to do the math on that. I mean, obviously, we're still a little bit away, but, you know, yeah. as, as uh, time goes on, maybe I'll have to see, man, who's it going to be? Um, okay, so in your time covering the Angels, Giants, and the Athletics, uh, who is a prospect who you personally saw uh, grow in uh, any of those organizations that you thought was like a cannot-miss guy who just never put it together? Is there anybody that comes to your mind? Oh, there's tons of them. Uh Well, I remember, let's take back to the beginning, Ben Grieve with the A's. Oh, yeah. Uh, he came up and he actually uh, was really good to start his career, mm -hmm. but then his career just kind of flamed out. And, I mean, he was like a top prospect and reached the big leagues. Things would look pretty good, and it just it didn't happen for him. And, you know, there are a lot of guys like that. There's It's the other way around. It's the exception. When a guy looks like he's a great prospect and actually becomes a great player, that's the more rare thing. But it's yeah. just so hard to uh, – to really convert on your talent and not just make the big leagues, but stay and have a real long career. It's really hard to do. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I remember the Mike Trout days where people just thought like, Oh, he'll probably be, you know, an, an average major leaguer. You know I mean? We never really knew what Mike Trout was actually going to do. Yeah. I think because as Angels fans, uh, we, we kind of saw like the Dallas McPhersons and the Brandon Woods. And so we're kind of skeptical when people were like, oh, Trout's going to be the next big thing. It's like, oh, we kind of heard this before, but we're glad it yeah. worked out the way it did. And remember, I grew up in San Diego. So, I mean, I remember the 2000s Padres where it was like, oh, you know, Luis Durango, Sean Burroughs, these guys are going to come up and be great. And, you know, that was what I heard through the media. You know, my dad listened to Mighty 1090 all the time. So, you know, I was hearing all that kind of stuff. So I was just used to prospects coming up and not doing well. So, you know, as an Angels fan, it's almost been the same thing for the last couple of years. Is there anybody that comes to mind with the Angels who you really thought was going to do well who didn't? Maybe besides like Caleb Coward? Um, I mean, I probably good just, when you stop a beat writer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, they haven't had really great prospects lately that you thought were going to be really good. Uh, I guess Griffin Canning, you know, was a guy that, mm -hmm. that I thought was going to be really good, even up until the beginning of this year. I thought he really made a lot of progress last year and this year he could really take the next step. And I had a, a scout in spring training to me told me that he thought Griffin Canning was just kind of like a poor man's Trevor Bauer. They oh, had wow. a lot of similarities. Oof. And if you look at really like their numbers when they first came to the big leagues, they're pretty similar too. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously Griffin Canning has not had a good year and now he's back in AAA. So he's got some work to do to get back on that track. But, but he's a guy that definitely – has not quite lived up to the expectations. And, and obviously Joe Adele, but I think it's still a little too soon to, to give up on Joe Adele. Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. You know, but Canning has now had, you know, 
two and a half seasons in the big leagues and, and still kind of trying to find himself. And one, one quick follow-up question to that. What's your thoughts or overall thoughts on Andrew Heaney, tonight's pitcher? I mean, like, what, what, because we, we've, <laughs> we've had, expression. yeah, we've had this conversation real quick with a, a lot of the fans and he, to me, and to a lot of the other fans have been one of the most frustrating pitchers to watch over the last few years. I think if you take all of his innings that he pitches, probably he looks like a really good pitcher in 90% of the innings he pitches, mm-hmm. but that other 10% ruins it, I yeah. think is the problem. And there'll be, they said so many games where he's like giving up one run through five innings and then he gives up three runs in the sixth and he ends up with, you know, five and two thirds, four runs, and it's not a good game. Or he gives up three runs in the first, and then he doesn't give up any more runs. You know, yep. he's just had so many games like that. And uh, those are his bad games. And then he'll have the good games where he actually does go six or seven innings and, and he's good, but he just doesn't have the consistency really that you think he should. And, uh, you know, it's he's far enough into his career now that I don't know that he really, that, that he's going to like take a, a step in any direction. I think this is probably what he is, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but he's definitely got a lot of talent and he's got a lot of potential uh, or he he thought he did, but uh, he's just, he's very frustrating. The fact that he, he's so good for most of the time and then just has these little hiccups that they kind of spoil the rest of it. Yeah. I think for him, it's always just been that one big, you know what I mean? Whatever that particular inning is, it's always been, you know, like you said, you know, first inning, really rough outing, and then he's going to be shut out the next five, six innings. But, um, yeah, no, actually, I, I think you hit – that was spot on. That, that was a very good answer. We, we appreciate that answer. Um, so, aside from some of the obvious uh, things this year that have come as surprises to others, you know, Shohei Otani, that kind of stuff, uh, what are some of the biggest surprises about this year's Angels team that, uh, you know, have kind of caught you off guard? I'm going to just say probably uh, – oh, the tarp out right now. Um, Jose Suarez is a, is a guy that I think had never really looked in his previous big league appearances in 2019 and 2020 like he was going to be a very successful big leaguer. And he was obviously very young, so you knew there was a lot of time for him. But uh, he's really taken a big step this year. And uh, I think that's certainly one of the most encouraging things that's happened for them. Do you think that uh, Suarez and Sandoval are going to be fixtures in the Angels' rotation for uh, the foreseeable future? Fixtures is a pretty strong word. I think they're uh, high up on the depth chart. And, uh, you know, if the season ended today and they were, they were starting to talk about next winter's rotation, you would probably say, all right, you're going to have Otani, Sandoval, Suarez, and Cannon. And uh, then see if you can add two. From, from out of the organization, that's probably the way you would do it. And speaking of pitching, obviously with what Perry did, the 20 for 20, and then, you know, obviously he's been talking about stretching out Rodriguez as a starter, and Detmers is knocking on the door to, to, to come up here. Um, do you think, a guy, you know, this is going to be a younger staff next year, you know, like with what you said with Sandoval, Otani, and Suarez, would it be one of those off seasons to where maybe if they don't land an ace again, they can depend on this young pitching? I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, this is something that I've told Angels fans for years. Nobody wants to seem to listen to me. Uh, the way you have a good pitching staff is by 
developing a lot of good pictures. Mm-hmm. You don't go and buy one big shiny thing and put them at the top and all of a sudden have a good pitching staff. Uh, I mean, the, the New York Mets have had Jacob deGrom and they, their postseason success has been about the same as the Angels, really. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they're kind of a disappointment every year. Too. The, the New York Yankees uh, right now are not doing a whole lot better than the Angels are and they have Garrett Cole. Yep. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies have Aaron Nola who any Angels fan would go, that's the perfect ace that we need, and where are the Phillies going? Yeah. So what you need is yeah. you need to have 12 or 13 good pitchers. And the way that happens is by developing them. So when the Angels are good again, it's not going to be because of what they did in the winter. It's going to be because all of a sudden, you know, Canning figured it out, Sandoval figured it out, Reed Detmers figured it out. You have like three – those are like three of your top four starters, and then maybe somebody else. And that's how the Angels are going to be good again. It's not going to be – an off-season shopping spree that is going to take them from bad to good. It's going to be improving the guys they already have and then maybe putting the cherry on top mm-hmm. with somebody you get from outside. That's the way it works. And uh, I think a lot of people just can't can't get their mind around that. And they think that you can just go on Amazon over the winter and say, hey, I need good pitching. Yeah. Put this in my cart and let's – there we go, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think and that's it's spot on because like the White Sox, a lot of people thought that oh, it was just an off season that they did where they were able to change things around. It's like no, they've been building for a while, and they just added some pieces to make themselves better. So yeah, I think Angels fans they think with a pool holes money off the table and all this other stuff, they're just able to just like you said, go to Amazon, get whoever they want, and change the the complexity of the team. But yeah, you're right; it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, you need a, you need a lot of good pitchers, not just yeah. one. Exactly. I agree. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I know you got to run, so just a couple more questions for you. So uh, you've been covering Angels since 2013, correct? Yes. Okay, uh, so you've seen three different managers uh, in your time here, and that's obviously Joe Madden, Brad Osmus, and Mike Sosha. What is something uh, – what's a good quality you've seen in all three that have fit their particular uh, team? Uh, well, they all bring different things. I think that, that Sosha – had a really good way with the players. I think that the players uh, enjoyed being around him. Uh, he kind of kept people loose. Um, I think Madden is kind of the same. He's very supportive. You know, no matter how bad things seem to be outwardly, he kind of stays optimistic. And, you know, I think the players need that. You know, I know fans sometimes get upset because they want to hear the manager, like, throw all his players under the bus and say, these guys stink. But that's not how you manage people. That, that's not, you know, I don't think you would want your male boss to do that. So I don't know why people think it would be a good quality if the manager of their baseball team did that. So uh, uh, those are for those two guys. And Brad Osmus, I think, was just a really uh, smart, analytical guy. We didn't really get very much chance to see much of, uh, of the other stuff that he could bring to the table. But, uh, and he also went through, you know, Tyler Skaggs dying which is yeah. a tough situation Absolutely. for any manager to have. So I think it's really unfair to judge anything about his managerial tenure. Yeah. I, do you think that was more about Joe Madden being available than it was about Brad Ausmus? Yeah, I think so. I think that if Joe Madden were not all of a sudden available, that they, they would have kept Brad Ausmus. Okay. Okay. And, and real quick, uh, my, my last question would be your thoughts between Epler and what you've seen with Perry so far. Like their their differences in the GM styles and how they work things. Uh, well, Perry's uh, 
is pretty open about uh, about what they're doing, and uh, I think they both kind of have some similar philosophies. Um, you know, I think they've, they've been in a tough spot, both of them. There's another thing I've tried to explain to people is that the Angels kind of got in an unfortunate storm of events by having Mike Trout become not just a very good player to where he was like a, you know, like the, the Marlins could trade Miguel Cabrera because mm-hmm. he was just a good player. The Angels could not yep. trade Mike Trout because he was a generational player. Yep. Uh, and when Mike Trout made that crossover from being just, you know, a very good young player to a generational young player, the farm system all of a sudden got to be terrible. Mm-hmm. So what that meant is that the Angels couldn't really trade away their major league players to improve the farm system because then you're just tanking while you have Mike Trout. And you can't trade away your farm system to get good major league players because you don't have anybody in the farm system. Mm-hmm. So I think both Epler and Manassian were kind of stuck to where they didn't really have good avenues for improving the team because of that circumstance. So it's hard to judge either of them. I think that uh, certainly Manazian has not been around long enough to really yeah. judge his moves. And Epler, I think, made a lot of good moves that people don't want to remember. But, uh, you know, I think, they're, I think they're both are pretty smart guys and, uh, and knew what they had to do. Okay. Yeah, Billy Epler was really good about picking people up from the waiver wire. I understand there's a little bit of chance to that, but, I mean, you know, Brian Goodwin, J.C. Ramirez, Parker Bridwell, Blake Parker. These are all guys, Hansel Robles, that, you know, came up were impact players who people probably didn't think were going to do much. I mean, we had a chance to have Kirby Yates. We had him for literally a game. (laughs) And, you know, Max Max Stassi Stassi and uh, Patrick Sandoval were guys that he picked up in trades for sending away rentals, basically. There were guys that they had no more use for. And uh, those two pretty good players they got back for those guys. That's true. And Ty Buttry, you know, for his short time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, one of the last questions I have for you. So Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, Reed Detmers, Jordan Adams, Jeremiah Jackson, and Kyron Paris are, you know, the top prospects that we have. Obviously, Joe Adele isn't officially a prospect anymore. But um, what are the odds that all those guys are still in the organization after August 1st? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say they probably all are because I think that the uh, I don't know that really the the players are going to be available to them to make a trade that would involve one of those guys because you, there's really not very many like controllable really good players that are even out there. I mean you talk about it you know, Jose Barrios and Herman Marquez and, you know, that's like two guys. So, uh, and, and the teams that are contending yeah. this year are going to have much more motivation to get those guys because they can use them for the 2021 pennant race and the 22 pennant race. Yeah. Whereas the angels are most likely looking at them for just the 22 pennant race. So are you going to want to give up a guy like that for, for really a one season shot with one of these guys? So uh, I'm going to say they're probably not going to, have a deal out there. I mean, they're going to be open to it if they can find it to get in a controllable guy, but I just don't think there's enough of them out there to where they would to be motivated to trade one of those players for, for that kind of return. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see, right. Not, not very many, not very many days left. All right. So closing question I have for you. Once again, this is Jeff Fletcher, the Orange County Register joining us generous enough with this time. 
In your opinion, as we currently sit during this conversation, who is the best player in Major League Baseball? Uh, depends on your definition of best player. Uh, Most talented I, player. Let's say I that. I still think, well, I still think that, uh, let's put it this way. If, uh, if all the players became free agents and you could start your team and pick anybody, mm-hmm. I still think you would take Mike Trout. I think he's the most sure thing. He's not okay. going to have a bad year. Still young. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer already. You know, yeah. he never has a bad year. Unlike you know the other guys that we that come in and out of the conversation, Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich, those kind of guys, they have bad years. Mike Trout does not have a bad year. Uh, as for Otani, Otani's definitely a special guy and he's a unique guy. But this is really only the only year he's done it. Yeah, you know, and it's only been for three months. Yeah, so it's hard to really put him in that category to where you say. You know, oh, he's going to keep doing this again for, for years. You know, it'd be great if he could, but it's still a little early to say that. Okay, but if we are doing a fantasy draft like that MLB The Show, is <laughs> Jacob DeGrom the first pitcher to go? Uh, first pitcher? Yeah, probably. He's the best pitcher in baseball. Okay. Absolutely. All right, perfect. Yeah, it's typically, I think, the general consensus for most fans. It's Mike Trout and, uh, you know, Jacob DeGrom. So. Sounds good. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff, for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope to stay in contact with you, and uh, we hope you enjoy your time in Minnesota. Uh, Todd, do you have anything to say for Jeff? No, just thank you again for your time, and uh, I know this is a busy time for you during the season now, getting up to the trade deadline, everything to report on. Just uh, continue success. All right, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff.